I'm Nels Anderson. And I'm Jesse Turner. And I'm Dan Clark. And welcome to Terminal 7. Hey, Nels. Hey, buddy. How's it going? I'm good. Here we are, episode 58. Yeah, and we have a guest. Who's this? Hi, uh, I'm Dan. Hey, Hi, there. Dan. Hey, Dan. How's it going? Uh, it's going all right. I heard that you uh, wrote a cool bit of fiction about Android Netrunner. I also heard that. <laughs> did you Did you hear it as, as, as your fingers were making the sound of clacking keys writing the book? <laughs> yeah, I've been accused of being a loud typer. Oh, good, good. I, do you have like one of those big honking mechanical keyboards that's basically like a, a typewriter yeah. with a plug in it? I, I think I do go through keyboards faster than anybody else in the company. <laughs> so Omar, really what you're saying is you're Omar. You're the Kyung. Omar. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, a little bit. I'm good, a little bit Omar. good. Uh, so if for folks, for some reason, haven't heard about this, um, as, as kind of a, a companion piece, so a, a few episodes ago, we talked to our friend Miss Lee Alexander. Mm. She wrote an Android novella called Monitor. It's great. Mm-hmm. If for some reason it's you haven't, if, if you haven't read it, you should. But it has it has a, a companion, which is Monster Slayer. Yeah, by Mr. Dan Clark. Also great. Um, <laughs> also, so, great. there we oh. go from the horse's mouth. <laughs> um, yeah. Also, so, also let's talk a little bit about Dan Clark's uh, yeah. position. So, I was going to say before we dive yeah. in. So obviously, unlike uh, Miss Alexander, you actually work at Fantasy Flight. True. Have you? So how long? How long have you been there? Oh God, um, <laughs> that's a good answer. <laughs> Eleven years. Oh almost, man, but... the vet, the big vet. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I've been... I started in the marketing department and really, uh, then just sort of bumbled around. And, and and have you always been a fan of this this genre this 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 the cyberpunk thing? Uh, so let me tell a little story that might illustrate that. Please, please. Um, Spin us a yarn. Going off on unrelated tangents is kind of my, my bag. <laughs> um, way back in the day, uh, I was working on uh, Android, the the board game with Kevin Wilson. Right, The original board and, game that started it all. Mm. Yes. Uh, and we were divvying up some of the flavor text writing for the individual uh, storylines for the individual characters. And I was trying to shift my style for the different characters to make them all sound different and, you know, do sort of a noir thing for Ray and do a sort of, uh, you know, romance thing with Caprice and then, uh, you know, romantic sci-fi. And then with, uh, with Rachel Beckman, I was trying to do more of a straight cyberpunk um, kind of Gibson neuromancer thing. Right. But I was having a really hard time nailing that style down so i reread neuromancer and halfway through it i realized the reason i was having such a hard time emulating the style was that it had been so influential in my own writing that that was just my native writing style <laughs> well, there you go write like dan so, <laughs> um which was a, a useful revelation because it made, made finishing the project much easier right right but, so yeah i i've been into cyberpunk since uh, like I might argue that the most influential books I read as as a Ute were um, the Lord of the Rings and Neuromancer. So, right, that's a pretty that's, that's a pretty good one two punch <laughs> yeah, if, if, you're, if you're doing what you yeah. do. 
Yeah, I, I'm unemployable in any other industry at this point. <laughs> yeah, <I just laughs> see, I, I feel the same way. It. So I'm just like, I, I guess I could technically make banking software, but you really don't want me to do that. So <laughs> no, no. for good or for ill, I'm stuck doing this. Yeah. I can't draw for banks, though, so I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> um, did you? So, did, did you actually have like a, a degree in English or creative writing or anything like that? I mean, you said you started in in marketing. Obviously, there's a lot uh, yeah. of writing and marketing. Uh, yeah, I was doing a lot of press releases and writing the website copy and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, I have a degree in English literature. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> um, from from Arizona State University, a, a very distinguished uh, institution. ASU in um, Tucson. Tempe. Tempe. That's right. That's right. Tempe, Arizona. Um, so, did did you grow up in the Southwest? No, I'm I'm a Vermonter. Oh man! Um, well, from, okay. So you just like from the drawn a triangle across the whole bloody country, then. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's. I, I lived in Arizona for a couple of years, but I, I also feel like I didn't really live there. I somehow managed to never go visit the Grand Canyon, which. Is a personal failing. <laughs> it's 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 a pretty small thing. You blink and you miss it. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, they, I heard it's just kind of a big it. hole. Uh, yeah. Whatever. They got bigger ones on Mars. It's fine. Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so did did you did, had you like done any professional creative writing before coming to Fantasy Flight, or was that kind of where everything started? Oh, so many years ago. I, I got into Fantasy Flight virtually right out of college. Um, oh, you and I, Lucas both. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> I, I had been uh, door knocking for the Democratic National Committee um, in the 2004 election. Whoa. Um, Jeez. Okay. So <laughs> I'm I'm well acquainted with electoral heartbreak. Nah, well, <laughs> there's also that. <laughs> Did, but did you did you open did you knock on the doors of, of, of Fantasy Flight's offices in Roseville, and you saw a big <laughs> no, orc uh, there, and you're like, oh, what is this? I'm home. Uh, <laughs> uh, the the actual orcs that wandered the office came a little after I was hired. Oh, I see. But, but that really did happen. Um, I was uh, I, I followed my um, then girlfriend out to Minnesota. Mm. Uh, fresh out of college because she got into the the vet school at the U of M. Ah, um, and then I was just living and working in a little little city called Lauderdale, which is sort of in the armpit of the Twin Cities. <laughs> Sounds great. And, <laughs> you really know how to sell this uh, place for us. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a char- it's a charming little little t- little town, um, but it is is the smallest city in the state. Uh, and it turned out that it was five minutes from the Fantasy Flight Games offices, which I didn't know when I moved in there. Uh, so I just started lurking on their uh, website and applying to jobs as they came up, and eventually that worked. Huh. So, you could literally just go peer uh, in the window and be like, "Oh, no one's there now." <laughs> I, I did. Let me I let me get in and move my resume deliver. to the top of the pile and burn all the other ones. <laughs> I did hand deliver my resume, which now that I'm older and wiser was probably a faux pas. <laughs> okay. But okay, maybe I, just I mean, like, in, yeah, you know, back in like 2003, 2004. Maybe le- maybe yeah. less intense too. You're also a door knocker, so you're used to just approaching people like that's that. That's true. I just like barge right in at <laughs> any old situation. <laughs> well, very cool. Hello. Um well, let's talk a little bit about Monster Slayer. So it, is this I guess I guess at a super high level, what what what, what is the book about? Uh, I guess at a super high level it is a game of Netrunner. Yeah, definitely. Um, I totally got that the, the vibe so you nailed that vibe like yeah. out of the park. It is a uh, extended um, attack of uh, or, or 
more of a duel, really, of um, Reina Roja versus Grendel, GRNDL. Um, Which were both in the same cycle, even. Yep. Maybe even the Um, same pack? I don't know about that. But maybe. uh, Close. At least close. I don't remember. Who can remember those distant... Distant <laughs> Those distant days of the spin cycle, yeah. and, and, I, and I know there's a listener not, not that a listener right now that's like, "Oh Jesus, guys, of course it was or whatever." Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, okay, so so is this like some of the longest fiction you've ever written? Because I imagine like the you know the, the having worked in games and written some stuff for games, like the the constraints of needing to do like a sentence of flavor text on a card versus yeah, like a paragraph was... in a board game versus like a hundred pages of prose seem like, obviously they're not completely dissimilar, but they're also not the same thing. Sure. Yeah. I, uh, it's a totally different challenge. Um, I'm, I'm used to working at, for, for work. I, I'm used to working in microfiction, right? Right. And, you know, if, if I have 500 words to play with, that's, that's luxurious. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> But the novella, you just have so much more space. Uh, although even then, it's not enough because a novella is not a novel. Right. And um, I, I've, I've written some longer form stuff before in college and just for my personal, personal life. Uh, but the writing the novella was a, um, a new experience in terms of like the discipline of working from the outline, working to um, – uh, a request from my editor mm. instead of just doing whatever the hell I wanted. Right. Um, it was, it was good. It was, um, I, I learned a lot from uh, tackling that challenge and sort of analyzing what I was doing as I was doing it. Right. Well, one, uh, of, one of the things interesting, like talking to Lee, um, because she, she's not in-house, like, you know, they're, they're, yeah. obviously she, she was a humongous fan, so there were elements of the game she wanted to draw on. But, you know, she also wanted to, like, explore a bunch of new interesting things that were personal to her. But since you, you know, were, like, one of the main people coming up with all of this, like, you know, you didn't, you didn't <laughs> have to come up to speed reading the big lore Bible because you just probably wrote most of it anyway. Uh, I did not write most of it. I wrote some of it. Okay. Um. <laughs> some of it, some of it. <laughs> Uh, but uh, honestly, um, yeah, I, I have a leg up on most other uh, uh, contributors in terms of just how long I'm working with the setting. But that also has its own pitfalls. Right. Well, that's sure. what I was about to ask. Is it is it like you were almost like looking at this giant smorgasbord of like, oh, there are all these cool things that uh, we put like a sentence here or a paragraph there about that I really want to dig into. Like, how did you end up specifically with this story about Reina versus Grendel? Uh, so... I performed an incredibly scientific um, piece uh, of analysis whereby I grabbed a pad of paper and a pen and I wandered around the offices and asked anybody who would sit still long enough who, what characters from uh, Android they wanted to learn more about. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, and I had, oh, just, you know, a massive number of at least two dozen data points. Um and the uh, two characters were tied for the for the top, and they were uh, Reina and Noise. Ah. Oh. So I went back to to my desk and I wrote a couple of pitches. Uh, I wrote I wrote some pitches that featured. I wrote one that featured Noise. Wrote one that featured Reina. I wrote a few others, uh, and then I turned around and handed them off to my editor, and she picked uh, two of them for me to focus on more. I went back and workshopped those a little, 
punched him up, and, uh, and then she picked the Reina pitch mm, mm. Um, as the, the strongest one. So that's what we went with. Well, f- f- uh, fair enough. Uh, who was, yeah. was, was your editor, Christina, or was it somebody else? Uh, Katrina Ostrander. Katrina, yeah. yeah, that's right. Katrina, not Kostrina. Yeah, cool. Um, well, the, uh, if, if, was there like a really, obviously, I mean, maybe you'll get the opportunity to, to do some more of these. I, I'd certainly love to see that. But for you, is there like a, a runner up idea that you're like, it's fine that she picked Reina, but it would have been really cool to do blah. I was really excited about all my pitches. I wouldn't have written them if I wasn't. All right. <laughs> of course. Uh, He's like just drudging was... through the professor. <laughs> There, there was one that um, I thought was really strong, and then I don't know if it directly became the nucleus of Exodus, but it certainly has enough similarities with Exodus that I feel no need to go back and, and re- revisit that one. Um, oh. Whether or not I'm the one writing them. You must be one hell of a pitch um, artist, then. That's great. Pitchman, Pitchman, Pitchman Clark. <laughs> cool. Well, I mean, maybe that's even. I mean, I we, we talked about this a little bit before the cast. And I didn't want to get into it, but we could very briefly mention um, there is a new, very exciting thing coming called Terminal Directive, yep. which is an expansion yes. for Netrunner, but an expansion in a very like different, unusual type fashion. Yeah, because it, yes. it's 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 very like story based. It seems like it has some influences from like legacy mechanics stuff that Rob Davio has done in you know both Seafall and Pandemic and Risk Legacy. So was was that like a project that you were especially excited about because it was an opportunity to have like even more like fiction in the in the cards versus just a sentence or two on some of the cards maybe. So. Um... Terminal Directive. I, I did uh, most of the writing for Terminal Directive, I believe. Nice. Um, and it was the most challenging writing projects that I had worked on up to that time, uh, up to that point. Really? Um, it, it was harder than the novella, oh. frankly. Huh. That's um, cool. What made it so challenging? Because it. Um, so it's it's both the the snippets of microfiction, thing, right? Where you are very very limited in how much you can do or say. And trying to tell a coherent um, sort of medium form uh, narrative with it, but right. also there's no one path through it. Right. That's that's kind of <laughs> the like whole branching. idea. Yeah. Is that like every the the game that plays out, like the multiple games over the entire course of like a like a campaign or yeah. whatever, like between any two people, that's going to be unique to them. So my hope is that when you finish your campaign of a terminal directive, you're able to look at the, the snippets and the micro fiction pieces that you have read and the flavor text and the cards and the art and all that. And you're going to, from that, be able to construct in your mind a, a coherent na- narrative. Right. Um, which doesn't necessarily exist on any one um, piece, or even if you were just to like take all that text and throw it in a word document, <laughs> hopefully what emerges from it is more than just that. Right. 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 Um, right. But I, I had never done anything quite like that before. So not many people I don't think anywhere any, have. Anyone has done that. <laughs> Doing new things is kind of tricky. Yeah. Uh, in in some ways, it's almost most analogous to um, like interactive uh, fiction or something. Yeah, or like like GMing, like right. running a role playing game, right? Um, where 
Although, but when I do that, I get to just uh, to improv and just riff off of what right. people. Right, yeah. it's like, oh, so this guy just... seems really interested in this waterfall. Okay, well, well, I guess I'll put something cool behind that waterfall. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Um, honestly, in in some ways, that is the the, the freest and most um, satisfying storytelling I know how to do. Right. Uh, just because you can respond like that. Yeah, and, and you're literally creating it for an audience of people that are in the same room as you, and it doesn't need to, and, and to meet inst- any other requirements. And invested. And, directly, and invested, yeah. yeah. They're invested. I know what they like. Yeah. Like, when I, I write I write this, this novella, and I don't know... I know that not everyone is going to like it, right? That's just a fact. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping that some people will like it, and I, I have to sort of guess who my target audience is and what do they want to see, and really... The, the solution to that is I write what I want to read. Right. Um, and hope that my tastes align with some non-trivial percentage of, uh, of, of the public. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think in general, as a creative person, it's really dangerous to try to, like... Please everybody? Well, well please everybody, but <laughs> yeah. in doing that, like, create something that you're like, okay, well, I'm not really into this, but if I were to imagine that I was hypothetically this other person, because you're like... You can never fully step into somebody else, right? So you're ultimately like no. doing this weird pandering, like kind of lowest common denominator thing. Just and that's see, yeah. like, I mean, maybe sometimes you can like, I guess, get lucky with that. It seems like that is not super creatively fulfilling. And also like the recipe for making a bunch of stuff that's really bad that actually nobody wants. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like super diluted, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, you have to tile that. Well, I don't want to offend, I don't want to offend this, this, this demographic. I don't want to like shake it up over there. And so, yeah, it's very, very, very difficult. But it's really cool that you just feel like you've, you stay true to your own writing style. Is that right, Dan? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's, uh, where do I... Where do I go with this? Um, I like to think that my writing style is pretty flexible, that I can, mm. uh, I can do different things. Right. Uh, so I actually, my first draft of Monster Slayer kind of dialed up the emotional bleakness um, to a level that wasn't necessarily necessary. Hmm. Uh, that's why I walked it back in, in rewrites and uh, uh, put a little more emotional life in, into it. Mm. Um, which is good because I don't think the emotional bleakness would have appealed to as many people. People would have finished the, the book and felt bad. Right. Mm, mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, it's useful to have an editor who can see those things and and give you the feedback you need to to, to punch it up. So right. so did you get like a Dan? You're bumming me out. Can we? <laughs> can we can we lighten the mood a bit? Is that? Uh, I mean, it was worded more eloquently than that, but <laughs> you, you, you <laughs> and don't more, say and more constructively than that. But yes, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, more or less. That is kind of like the power of a really good editor, too, right? Like, I've I've been yeah. lucky enough to work with some really good editors in the past, and the best editors that I've worked with, the people are, are who are like who can figure out what you were going for. But then kind of being like, oh, I can tell that this is what you were going for, but this is kind of tacking like too far in this direction or whatever. It's like this is like I can tell what you wanted to accomplish with this. And this is just like right. a few marks to in one direction or the other um, versus like, you know, a bad editor is going to be like, well, I didn't like that. You should do it this way. Versus a good editor is like someone who helps you hone and refine what you wanted to do, but you just weren't necessarily able to articulate clearly just because you're like when you're making something, you're always too close to it. You're always too close to it. Yeah. Uh, there's no substitute for coherent, constructive feedback. 
Right. <laughs> um, well, well, we'll we'll get into the spoiler stuff in just a touch, but first, a bit more broadly, I guess, like one of the again, not to keep comparing it with Lee's book, but one of the interesting things I thought about with Monitor was like, you know, there was occasionally like a brief appearance or a nod to some major characters from you know the Android card game, but. Yeah. With Monster Slayer, it's like, oh no, this is just a book about one of the friggin' Matches, Netrunner yeah. identities <laughs> fighting against one of the corporate identities. So, yeah. what was it like? Like, what was the? Were you challenged in a different way when it came to writing such a specific like character from the fiction that like people had already you know maybe had a lot of association with or attachment to or like because you were really fleshing out someone who like you know all the characters in the game are already they're always like kind of vague right so it's like oh no this one we're gonna be drilling it down and making it really specific about like who she is how she behaves what she thinks how she speaks like what happened to her yeah it's like was that like was that was that exciting was that a challenge did did it feel like oh but now i'm gonna be taking out taking away some of people's imaginations of what one of these characters is gonna be like and making it really specific Uh, headcanon exists i'm not gonna i can't overwrite that right Um, right. (laughs) Uh, it was definitely a challenge. Um, uh, so Reyna is a character who was uh, is not just strictly my own invention, um, which makes her harder to write than right. uh, th- than other characters might be. Mm. Um, I-, I was involved in her creation, but a lot of a lot of the details of her character come from Damon right. and the rest of the team. Um, so I uh, had to spend quite a bit of time trying to get into her head, mm. um, which was a challenge, but it was, uh, are you telling a, me a you, you've, you've never been an electronic warfare specialist during a Martian civil war, Dan? <laughs> uh, no, not, not yet. Um, I, I've, I've got that, got that to look forward to. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> Jeez. uh, but, um, it's not just about like trying to um, not just about trying to find her voice, but also trying to figure out uh, why she does what she does and how she does what she does. Right. Uh, Like it's, it's relatively easy to write a couple lines of dialogue and make them sound like they belong Mm. to to Raina. Um, But it's much harder to figure out like, what is the, the whole arc of this plot? What is the arc of her character? What, is going to happen to her and transform her. Um, you know, where is she coming from? Where is she going to? Uh, those are harder questions than just, can I make a line of dialogue or a bit of flavor text that sounds like it fits? Mm. Um, but they're also absolutely necessary to, to answer, to, to, to solve, or you don't have a book. Right. <laughs> so. um, well, another thing that, that was interesting that I... So this is this is you know um, I think a lot of people when they think of like you know like cyber and obviously th- this is not specific to Monster Slayer but more just the Android setting in general but like when a lot of people think about cyberpunk it's like oh you know it's like dark rain slick streets and lots of neon and it's like it's very but it's very like you know just our world but slightly in the future right but the thing sure then like you know a lot of the fundamental stuff you know you're you're, you're like you're you're do androids dream of electric sheep? Not even necessarily Blade Runner the film, but like, do androids dream of electric sheep and Neuromancer and stuff? It's like because that stuff was still so rooted to like 50s, 60s, 70s era sci-fi. Like 
there's still a lot about space in that. Yeah. Right? In a way that you don't uh-huh. get with like a lot of contemporary, like, n- you know, near future sci fi or whatever. Like, you know, you're never in like Minority Report or the one that had the Ex Machina or stuff like that. Like, you know, you never get that spacey aspect of, of sci fi in it. But, you know, in Android, it's like, oh yeah, we colonized the moon, the space elevator is a huge thing. Mars, Mars is this had giant problems. Component of it. Mars had civil unrest. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. that's the thing that's always like hearkened back to kind of the genesis of Cyberpunk. Because like, you know, a lot of people think like, oh, it's all about the net and hacking, but like two thirds of Neuromancer takes place when they're on like a space station. <laughs> um so was that like a deliberate choice that you and other folks on the team made to be like, oh well, we're gonna give this a lot of the echoes of like, you know, the Genesis type like cyberpunk where it's like oh it is about like it's still about you know it's not crazy future aliens space travel but it's like it's about you know our world but projecting our world a couple hundred years in the future that probably includes other planets too well we can hope we can hope anyway Um, it won't just be the robots (laughs) (laughs) if if you look at uh the, the original android board game board you might notice that uh like half of the location names are references to various bits of classic sci-fi right? Um, from Asimov through Heinlein through all sorts of stuff. Uh, and that is reflective of the fact that Kevin Wilson, uh, even more so than myself is a enormous fan of all of those, those classic authors, all that, um, all, all those science fiction works that I presume were, were formative for him in his mm. youth. Uh, so Android as a setting has always been broader than just cyberpunk. In fact, the Android board game is arguably not really cyberpunk at all. Um, there, there's, you know, one hacker character in, in the board game and very little of anything that really involves technology beyond the Androids themselves. Um, so we call it a cyber noir setting. Right. It's just like, in like, general. Like, 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 a, like a futurist kind of thing. That's yeah. It's cool. Very cool. Right. Yeah. It's um, Netrunner in particular is the, I would argue, is the most cyberpunk facet of a larger setting. Right. Um, but because it is a game setting, in addition to, it's not just like a single story or a single movie. Uh, we were always looking at the possibility of this being a much larger um, thing. So we wanted to make it big enough to support lots of different stories and lots of different styles of storytelling mm, mm. within it. Right. Uh, so I, I think that on the one hand, um, colonizing the other planets was integral to Kevin's surprisingly optimistic view of the future. <laughs> yeah, uh, it feels very Roddenberry in, in, in a way, right? Yeah. Like, like, yeah, we're, we're all tired of this, this, this race this segregation crap. We're just all going forward as a race, as like the human race. Right. Um, and that feels like, yes, Netrunner has always been like, to, to, to me, like, this is, a, this is a pretty positive outlook, you know? <laughs> it's... It, it, it is and it isn't. It's, um, our, our fundamental argument with, this, with the setting is that as much as we, our technology can unlock new opportunities for us and can protect us from some of the, the worse um, decisions we were making now. Um, ultimately, no matter how much we change the world around us with our new and, and improved technology, humans aren't really going to be that different in the future from how they are. Right. Now. I think, I think that's, um, that's tackled means... very well in Monster Slayer. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I, 
I'm, I'm glad you think so. Uh, the good and the bad, right? Like humans are capable of great love and, and great feats of, of trust and, and heroism and also not that. The other thing too, they do that too. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe let's um let let's give folks uh, a a bit of a spoiler warning. I don't know how deep we'll get into it immediately, but we'll take the gloves off now. So if anyone hasn't read All right. Monster Slayer yet, yep, I would say you should go read it. It's really good. It's really cool. Yep. It's quick. You know, it's like hundred pages. Give and it a, and give also, it a also, if you pick up the hardcover. Oh yeah, the, in, yeah. The, in the super cool. Yeah. So if people check out at this point and are waiting to come back to it, basically the hardcover is available now. You can just order it straight from FFG's website or probably your local st- st- shop where you you know you get your Netrunner data packs. They should be able to get a copy of it too, for sure. Uh, but if you want to live in the cool cyber future, uh, a, a downloadable Kindle and all the rest of it version will be coming pretty soon. Maybe by the time you hear this, it will actually be available. But it, but it will be available. What's cool though November. is the hardcover's got about sixteen. That's right. Pages extra. Sixteen fold. Beautiful. Yeah, so beautiful. So just like monitor, of... there's a little like little addendum flavor thing in the back that provides like a bunch of you know um, like almost like almanac type information just about yeah and yeah and I, and I gotta tell you if you guys like Grendel like me there's some there's, there's a great Grendel section in the back yes <laughs> there's a great Grendel section in the back it makes you really feel for that for the for the ID yeah. it really so does. and uh, there's a lot of like new art in there it's all super lovely if if you do get the hardcover book definitely get it. Check out that section in the back. Read that section first, yes, I would say. Yeah. And then read the actual story itself. <laughs> but otherwise, you know, go 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 read this sweet novella and then come on back because we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about all the rest of it. Yep. Alert. Spoiler, Spoiler alert. alert. You are you have been <laughs> alerted. Um so one of the first things that I thought was really interesting, uh, and obviously this this comes super early in the book, but the the notion of like, you know. All the chess pieces and that—it's just—it's just kind of like interpreting the net as 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 like a metaphor, right? That like every yeah. runner, the way yeah. they perceive all this, all the weird, crazy data code, all that crap that actually happens, like various, actually right? on computers in the network, um, is abstracted for them in a way that they've that that like it just becomes metaphors that are easier for them to in- manipulate, which is not that different actually from how like computers work. Right, like you know, you're right. You're writing code in right. some language. Well, it's like it's built in this in this slightly more comprehensible way that ultimately gets like churned and compiled through three different levels until you get like assembly instructions that the CPU like just directly executes on the board. Um, so I thought right. it's just like oh, just pushing that like one level higher and also a bit more interesting to read about in prose was like. That was interesting and cool and gave, like, a tangibility. It feels like that's that's an interesting... Was it, like, a deliberate attempt to make a lot of the otherwise really abstract, like, stuff that happens in the net, like, more tangible? Uh, that was part of it. Um, this actually, it dates back to when we were first working on, on Netrunner. Um, back in whatever year that was. <laughs> a while ago. <laughs> a while ago. Because uh, one of the first things we had to do was figure out how to do the art for the cyberspace cards. Right. Um, uh, well, and we didn't... Qu- quite a while back, we talked about that with Zoe Robinson as well. Mm. Sure. Uh, so so all... Everybody should just pause here and go back and listen to that conversation. <laughs> right. No. Um, th- so the idea of... We want, this, the, we want cyberspace to be interesting. We want it to be visually interesting, which means we want it to... 
uh, when it comes time to write about it, we're trying to write compelling uh, visceral scenes. Um, and we also had somewhere along the way hit upon the idea of like suites of programs, like like the Kesa suite, the, the, the chess pieces, right. um, which we thought of as uh, belonging to one particular runner, not necessarily because they're the ones who wrote those programs, but because the the visuals of the, the, the unifying theme of their look is tied to how that runner interprets the network. Mm. Um, so fortunately, Reyna already had that set for me by the time I sat down to, to write the right. book. Um, and then I just had to take those uh, really interesting visuals and make them fun, but also give them the extra sort of level of rigor of um, it, players will of course forgive the mechanical abstraction of I host my pawn on your ice and then it moves forward and all these shenanigans that are happening in the card right. game that <laughs> nobody they do stuff to ice and exactly how does that work I don't really know or care because I don't really know or care how ice works right. <laughs> uh, so it's fine yeah. but when you're writing the, the, the novella you have the space to go into that more so the readers are going to expect you right. to. And we try to make sure that all of the, um, the, the science fiction in our Android setting is like a seven on the hardness scale, you know, like, right. <laughs> uh, it, it's, we, we wanted to at least smell plausible. Yeah, so, yeah to, to, to feel uh, real. Like, obviously, it's not going to be like, yeah. oh, and here's 30 pages about how, like, this weird visual metaphor actually abstracts into these code exploits based on data buffer over a blah, blah, blah. And then the novella's over, and you're like, oh. what What just happened? <laughs> what just happened? Then? And that was one <laughs> I, I also like, so So you handle Reyna. Reyna is an, uh, she used to be a drone pilot uh, up on Mars, doing much stuff. And what I liked about this story is she... Ex- exists in like the physical realm a lot more than a lot of other runners like the runners are hacking and like oh i'm gonna hack this atm i'm gonna do this thing reina's out there like busting up people with her super suit and <laughs> blowing up bioroids with like the caseless ammunition submachine gun like she's actually doing like action-packed stuff um and i i, I found her as like a, a, a very very different uh like like the way the way she handles problems in 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 this story is very like it felt action hero but a little bit subdued because I I, I totally got the feeling of the 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 noir the little bit the the, the mystery this this whodunit kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, how 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 much more difficult is it to, to just constantly be throwing this Reina into all these situations when we're talking about like uh, I'm gonna hack into the terminal of uh, Grendel and find this information? I'm just wondering. Sorry, man, I'm I'm rambling like crazy. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying, like, uh, was it was it more difficult to maybe put Reyna in these dangerous situations, like in 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 meat space, and then also make her break through ice with all her different programs? So um, you'll note that is it is it day three when she goes on her um, maybe day three or four when she goes on her uh, sort of crusade against against right. Reyna. Right. Um, when, when she makes a lot of noise to get the attention, right? She makes yeah. a lot yeah. of noise. That sequence um, was suggested to me by the Card Queen's Gambit. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, yeah okay, okay. Right, 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 right. right. She's, 
she's out there uh, daring them to come after her, which is exactly what she's doing in in that in the art for that that card. In uh, Matt Zellinger's great, right? Piece. Yeah, like make like um, yeah, so like I, make sure you see my face, right? Yeah, right. Um, and I, I wanted that uh, that moment was so compelling to me in the art that I wanted it to be in the novella, and it, it had a very natural fit there. Um, for me. I, I, I generally find it easier to write about meat space stuff than to write about cyberspace stuff, only because I'm not a computer scientist. <laughs> and I will frequently, quickly get in over my head um, if I start trying to write too much about how the network works. Right. Uh, it's, a series of two, it's a series of tubes, right? Like, <laughs> um, full of cats. Tubes so full of cats. Full of cats. Yep. Um, so I, uh, we do in fact have, have at least one cat in this book. So a, a, a um, space cat, a regal space cat. Oh, and then there are also meat, meat fake yes. cats as well. Yeah, also, <laughs> also, yeah, gotta have cats. Um, so I, I know how the physical world works much better than I know how the digital world works. So it's, it's easier for me to, to write in that, in that space. And I also am of the opinion and others may disagree that, um, the audience is going to react more strongly when a character is doing things in person. Right. Um, we, we are monkeys and we like to look at things and hold them in our hands and, and put them in our mouths. And <laughs> oh, you also have a child, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and I think that in general, we will for the foreseeable future and continue to react more strongly to, to things happening in the real world than we will to things happening in, in vert and simulation. Right. Well, so that notion of, I hadn't, I didn't put that together reading it, but the, the, the Queen's Gambit analog totally makes sense. I mean, obviously there's plenty of, you know, like callbacks to specific characters, other cards like Grendel and Tally Perot and the, 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 the pre, pre- <laughs> preeminent princess space kitten. But were there other like smaller moments that were suggested to you by certain cards or things that had just happened in games that you want to put in the book that maybe like slightly less obvious from the out from just looking in. So the, the bare bones framework of the plot um, actually is just the plot of spin cycle. Uh, right. Yeah. Cause yeah. Cause you're, the, you're, cause you're dealing with the, the, the big, the big tsunami, event, the big tsunami, like, yeah, the big tsunami. Um, and also the, the, uh, the hard faced man, Mr. Stone, right. Who who who, um, is, who a is the guy on Project Vulcan? Right, he's the dude wasting people through the screen. Oh, I thought he. Uh, he's on, on the um. Uh, he's on. Witness that's what I was. That's what I was. Right, the gloves. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that's okay, what I was. Imagining. Gloves. Project Vulcan. Yeah. He's on uh, the cleaners. Yeah, he's it. Um, <laughs> oh right, yeah, yeah, that's right. Because he has, has the two bioroids, and then the one got right. Right, because of, of course, which, which I love. Stone does the old like, hey, okay, go to sleep, murders a bunch of people, wakes up, okay, move these bodies, and eventually the bioroids <laughs> figure out like, wait a minute, yeah, there's a lot of bodies where you are, boss, and he's like, hey, wipe the brain, let's go. Yeah, it was it was very it was very like visceral use of these tools he used them as tools and i thought it was really yeah. cool because we saw byroids uses that way and then the ones that are saving people in the tsunami and it was a very very sweet moment i yeah. thought it was really great well, i mean in general that was a thing that i i wasn't like wasn't front of mind going in but was pleasantly surprised by it's like oh of course like you know when you have this society that's filled with all these artificial life forms that you know are like just live aside along you day by day as much as our cell phones do now in 2016 
that like oh yeah of course you know the 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 directors of robotics are going to come into play heavily with the way they interact with the world right yeah they like, better right <laughs> that one scene yeah. in the alleyway where the one robots the one biro is being like miss it's very dangerous for you to be here please don't do this <laughs> And then, like, you know, she bails off the car, and he has to save her, even though that bioroid is ostensibly working for the Wayland's cleaner, because, like, oh, that's just, you can't overwrite that part of their programming. Mm-hmm. That bit, I thought, was very interesting in terms of, like, just how how just the day-to-day mechanics in this world operate was, you know... Is that is that like something that you were excited to explore in the book? Is that something you'd want to explore more in I don't know Terminal Directive or, or other work you may do in the future? Um, I, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that Terminal Directive features some of this these themes pretty heavily. Mm. Uh, but I had so much fun writing the the fight scene with Frank, with Frank and yep. Davy guys. <laughs> <Right>. Like <laughs> just. I, I love that dope of a buyer. Right. <laughs> yeah, it, just... it's it, it super cool because, like, yeah, like, like, like Mel's mentioning, just, just how they need to react, and like, it isn't really a fight scene because he's not going to hurt you, but he's stopping you from doing what you want to be doing. Yeah. And and, and but then again, uh, towards the end, when she needs help, she actively approaches a bioroid and says, like, "Look, I'm running out of blood. I need to be taken to the hospital. Please handle it." Yeah. Passes out, wakes up in the hospital. Good to go. Like, yeah. I just, it was, it was just, it was a neat. Uh, it felt like a neat just element to just have alongside the story of Yeah, it was a very specific moment that, you know, outside of like maybe that crappy Will Smith movie or whatever, is actually not a thing you despite this being like a big trope, especially in like, you know, television or film sci-fi. It's still not a thing you see a lot, but like as just like an interesting storytelling like mechanical thing that you could build a lot with, it's really rich. Right? Like it's cool and it it, it was it, it made me very happy to see it and I hope I hope we see more of it. Definitely. Um uh, I- Central to the setting, you yeah. Know, like the setting's called Android <laughs> for, for a reason. Uh, damn it, <laughs> that's right. Um, I mean, there was kind of another related thematic thing that I don't know if it was how deliberate this was on your part, but it felt like you know initially, like like Rain is constantly concerned about like the enemy in like these very specific like all terms that it's like. I mean, she's an experienced soldier. This seems like very simplistic and weird, but then you realize you know through um. G- Not Allende, uh, 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 Rafe. Is it Raf or Rafe? Uh, Rafe. Rafe. Yeah. yeah. Her, 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 like former. Yeah. Ra- the, Ra- the, the only one she basically trusts in the whole book. Yeah. Yeah. That like, oh, that yeah. you know, the the weird military grade cyberware that these guys had yeah. implanted, like Strips it, it, all it did stuff to them. Yeah. So like, you know, the fact that she's yeah. constantly concerned about like the enemy, it's like, well, that's not necessarily just like part of her character. Maybe that's also like part of the damage that she experienced in her time on Mars. Was that like a very deliberate thing that you were trying to like evoke and convey with a lot of her actions and behaviors and thought processes? Oh, and sorry. And just to add to that also, whenever anything human like was coming up, it was like immediately, immediately repressed. I felt by, uh, I think the wires in her brains when she's like, wow, um, this is a really brutal event, but then I ignored it. There was a lot of that that Raina had, which is basically like keep moving forward that I, that I found. There was a few moments in the, in, 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 in the story where something bad happened, something sad happened. Like sh- when she said, when, like when she could have zoomed in and seen people die or when she could have thought more about that and then she just ignored it and just yeah. kept on moving forward. Is that part of the, the things we do to the soldiers we sent to Mars? Uh, it, it is definitely so thematically. It is, uh, yeah. It's about what we do, what we ask of our of our soldiers, um, in order to turn them into the kind of people who can kill uh, for us. 
um, and on a sort of on on a plot level with Reyna, there's kind of two different things going on with her. One of one of them is that yes, they put stuff in her brain and it changes the way she thinks, um, and changes how she emotionally connects to the things she's doing, the people she's with. But there's also so, at least some element of PTSD going on, right? Mm. Of of damage that she that she uh, accumulated while deployed, um, and it's not necessarily clear how much of each is affecting her or what, mm, how mm, each mm. of them is manifesting right. in her behavior. That it's not maybe possible to, to disentangle those two things. Right, right. Um, we have the moment with her father where he just wants his little girl back yeah. and she can't, she can't come back. Yeah. Right. Um, like even when she has a, a sweet memory of being on the boat, she actually chops that out of her head right at that moment as well. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. she can, uh, Jesus um, <laughs> <laughs> hook up some sweet drones and waste some fools instead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you'll note that um, she also displays hypervigilance throughout the book. Yes. She's, she never feels safe. She's always you know checking her perimeter. Yeah, yeah. She's a very efficient uh, some entity. Other... Like it, you, you actually just re, like we revisit. She powers up on ramen, uh, some soy protein, and just gets up and goes again. Like she just recharges and then goes, and she, she recharges and goes. She 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 felt monstrous in a lot of ways. As well, while while you're reading the book, I I thought it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is why we get the whole "we're not so different" speech. Right. Yep. With Stone. Yeah. Classic, classic, classic speech. <laughs> and, and, and and also like, yeah. was symmetry part of the book? Because I guess we we have the other chess pieces and that symmetry. And then she's talking to um Alende. Yeah. And then she's saying like, actually, it's 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 asymmetrical. Like we don't know what the information is. Uh, the, if you know more than the other guy, you're gonna beat him, right? That was like her her whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then Stone comes back and is like, "We're like the same thing, except you're fighting for this and I'm doing my my, my, my job." Was symmetry part of it, or did that just kind of like slot in happily into the story for you? I I, I think it, it slotted in more, more or less happily. Mm-hmm. Um, showing, I I felt it was important to to um, impress upon the reader that Reyna is damaged. Um, right. strong but damaged and one of the ways to display that damage was to sort of contrast her with this monster uh, and to figure out how different she is from him um, and I, I would argue that she's less of a monster than he is yes yeah yeah I, I, she, 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 didn't, she did not cover up a tsunami that killed hundreds of thousands <laughs> of people for example right, she, she hasn't given up yeah um in the same way that you might argue Mr. Stone has. Right. Um, but on the other hand, she also is a murderer. Yeah. She, uh, she wastes so... a lot of dudes in this story. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was that, there was that quip where it's like, you know, um, they needed it, but she needed it more when referring to, she was like stealing somebody's hopper. And it's like, well, it's like, yeah. why do you actually need it more? Yeah. It's like, you, 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 you think your cause is more important. And obviously, if you like, you think there's a tsunami that's going to kill hundreds of thousands of people, it technically is. But you can use that line of thinking to justify Every, almost anything. Yeah. <laughs> it's yep. like, maybe that's the hopper that guy needed to get to work to like feed his kids. Maybe, maybe he was part of the EMT that's going to be like fixing the people that are right. hurt anyways. Yeah. So it's like, that's one of those like subtle thematic moments that just like kind of poses that interesting moral quandary right where you're kind of like you know it's like in this yeah. in this instance yeah she's probably right like actually the stuff she was doing was more important but you can use that to justify anything <laughs> uh, it's it's vigilantism right? right like it's 
at, at what point do you decide that your moral crusade is more important than the society is telling you, please don't go on that crusade. Right. Uh, yeah. And I, I want people to um, empathize with Reyna, but I'm not convinced they should be rooting for her. Right. All, at least not all the yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, this isn't like, probably better than Grendel, but... <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I do, and, Still and, not the best. Uh, sorry, but uh, Dan, were you? did you write up uh, the Grendel story at the, at the end, like like the, the cliff notes, so to speak, of the Grendels? You know, like, it's just struggling things down to one office. It's just trying to get by. And then Waylon's like, uh, we're doing the long game. We can probably use these guys. Uh <laughs> And Grendel just they they kept keep it as this like secret. Did were you part of the creation of that as well, or did you just uh, borrow from that? Uh, most of the the fiction in the back of the book was written by Jason Marker, oh, cool. who is a freelancer who's done some work for us in the past across our various role playing games and uh, in the Worlds of Android book as well. Mm. Um, I don't now remember how much, if anything, I contributed to the the back matter. Right. Um, so I, it's always hard when you were part of a collaborative project to point to like, yeah, that thing, that one thing was yeah, me. Right, right, sure, sure. Um, sometimes, uh, sometimes I, I know for certain that, that a certain thing was me and then discover that other members of my team also believe it was them. <laughs> so. I have also had that feeling many times where it's like, I came up with it, at least I think I did, wait, maybe that was, oh, whatever, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, Grendel uh, was an interesting they're an interesting character kind of in the book um, because they are so flat yeah. and, and pretty and old school like, <laughs> yeah. like we're, we're, we're getting helium free from the moon but we still got this like oil rig that's just fracking the hell out of earth yeah. it's, very, it, it, it's very primal compared to a lot of things in that runner I found yes yeah. Um, it's. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Dan. Uh, they should look and feel like a company that could be here today. Yes. Right? Yeah. Definitely. They um, definitely do. I guess. I guess the old school is more like now school. <laughs> yes. In the, in the world of yeah. Netrunner. <laughs> yeah. Minus the causing a tsunami part, but even that doesn't maybe not that unreasonable. Yeah. Well, that's the kind of thing where it's like you know you yeah. just have that even in the moment at the end where Stone and the rest of the flunkies are like lining up and blasting all these scientists. It's like that's kind of always like it's something like faint. Even though obviously like you know I I and I think most right thinking people should believe that climate change is like maybe one of the biggest like social political problems that we have to deal with. Period. Like there's always this tragedy of like you know there are probably people who work for Exxon or whatever BP that are like you know research scientists who are smart people who are trying to like figure out a way to make this not terrible but it's like yeah when you're that deep inside the apparatus like how like how compromised are you like like can you actually do more good than harm inside of there I don't know if you can yeah that's probably what you wanted to when you got in there like I'm gonna make the difference I'm gonna change things yeah yeah, I, I also loved about the story. Like she, 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 she basically wanted to. She's like, something big's happening. I want to stop it, and she, she, she didn't. The tsunami hit like crazy. She wants to go help out the her contact on the on the rig, and she can't. She couldn't do that either. Yeah, like, she just like she kind of just failed her mission, so to speak. 
and then until the very very end, of course, where she actually runs into somebody who's in the position. Right. But yeah, like it was. I, I like the story that like she just keeps getting beaten down, but she just keeps going. Like, oh, I guess this is this, this mm-hmm. is what my mission is now. It's it's very dynamic. It's fluid, and I'm now I'm going to be doing this. Yeah. It's it's the upside of her damage, really. The 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 focus, right? The, right. Like the determination. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, well, we're probably getting close to wrapping up, but was there were there any final thoughts, moments, things you wanted to share about Monster Slayer or other stuff that's coming down the pike that you're excited about in Terminal Directive or otherwise? I, I did think that it was quite timely that this was coming out right as we are very shortly going to be moving into the Red Sand Cycle, and yes. there's going to be a bunch of stuff <laughs> oh, about man. the moon. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna be uh, so that good. was very good. So, so I guess may- maybe maybe you can clarify this. So, like the stuff that's happening in Red Sand. Um, that's yeah. coming in the next expansion. That's not like stuff back from this original war that Reyna was in. This, no, no. this, this is like, like a Fallout. A, like this the... is like the the consequence of that, and maybe like a new conflict is starting to to spur up. So the the, the world's war ended, but. The, the uh, Declaration of Peace on Mars is has always been at least a little bit Tenuous. Technic, <laughs> technical more than actual. Uh. Um, there have always been people on Mars who just have never quite given up that the, the same conflict. Right. Um, and in our in our fiction now, like in our in our um, our moment in the in the game, is as that conflict is once again threatening to consume everything. Mm. Um, you might remember in the Worlds of Android book the the uh, murder of Victor Gray, um, I... who was the 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 UN uh, what was it the UN um, space colonization something. Um, basically, he was basically he was a UN guy who was influential in um, uh, talking about trying to establish permanent peace on mm. Mars. Uh, and he's murdered. Uh, oh, good. Oh, great. In, in, okay. In, in the Worlds of Android book, um, and if you follow through uh, reading the whole Worlds of Android book, you can find lots of different references to that murder and the, the hunting for the, the, the culprit. Huh. And also a couple of references to the reawakening of the war right. on Mars. So that's happening. Got it. And it's always been happening. And so Red Sands is that powder keg. Right. T- t- tensions are rising once again kind of thing. Yeah. And it's it's the whole thing is just uh, Omar would say that it's a single flashpoint away from everything going on. Ah, flashpoint. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, I mean, I'm not saying, I'm just saying. <laughs> very cool. Well, I am I'm very excited that this is uh, reading both the, the the story itself and then the, the the insert in the back got me very excited to be like, yeah, what the what is like What's still going on there? Weird future Mars. Like, I'm very excited to to read more about that and see what happens in in all the cool red sand stuff. Well, uh, Dan, I hope you guys like it. I'm very excited. Well, guys, Definitely. thank you very much for coming on and, and giving us a chat about your about your super cool book, yeah, Monster um, Slayer guys. My Monster pleasure, Slayer, guys. And, you know, we got. 
we got these signed copies. So thank you very much, Dan. Yeah, I like really after. I got, I, got, I got you. I got you. I got your scribble right here. Oh. And I'm just gonna put it on my shelf and I'm, be a content guy. I'm amped. Um, so yeah, I, folks. I, I think it's likely that you guys got your books before I got mine. <laughs> Scoop. That's, that's how. Scoops. That's how it goes. I guess we're higher on the food chain now. And also, uh, Dan, just just to confirm, you guys uh, put terminal in the new expansion because of us, right? Terminal Seven is that is that correct? I mean, yeah. Confirmed. Confirmed. And we're clear. constantly looking for opportunities to honor and and, and uh, celebrate. <laughs> well, uh, on that... And, and, our, and our fans in on, general. On that vile, self-serving note, <laughs> um, if folks want to chat with you or check out more of what you do or whatever, do you, are you contactable on the internet like a cool guy? Do you have a Twitter handle or anything like that? Yeah, I, you can find me on Twitter at at Dan Lovett. There we go. L O V A T, right? L O V A T. There you go. Uh, which is also my website address. So DanLovettClark.com. Perfect. Efficient. Awesome. And folks should definitely grab their copy of Monster Slayer. It is awesome. Mm. And please we're, do. We're, we're with a hearty read. It is. It is a very interesting. It is another uh, like a like a n- another view into the Android setting that's distinct from Monitor, but also super interesting yeah. in its own right. It's the coolest Netrunner match you're gonna read. There you go. I definitely think <laughs> There you go. Well, Dan, thank you very much. And if, if folks guys. have any notes, thoughts, other stuff for us, whatever, you can always hit us up on Twitter at Term7 or send us an email, Terminal7 at idlethumbs.net. Uh, thank you to our buddy, Gordon McLattery, Nailed it again. Audio. Nailed it again. Helping, helping us do this crazy remote setup. As always, he's a, he's, a, he's a peach, peach of a man, and his cats are... Less peachy. <laughs> they're 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 terrible. They're buttholes. They're, terrible. they're both but, terrible buttholes. I hope I they're hope cats. your cats are less vile creatures, Dan. <laughs> he just Although they're cats, so he just left. Probably not. Uh, it 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 varies. Yeah, that sounds about There's right. Good days and bad days. <laughs> and if you want a very cool pulse pounding thematic soundtrack to accompany you sitting on your couch drinking some soy calf and reading Monster Slayer, mm. you should definitely grab yourself the Neo Tokyo OST from Mr. Ed Harrison. That's our intro and outro music, and that's all available at edharrison.bandcamp.com. Thank you so much, there Dan. That was that was great. All right, Thank thanks, you, guys. Don't worry, we'll cut out that bit about Exodus. Yeah, yeah, that, that'll be that'll be not a problem. <laughs> oh yeah, of course, of course, of course. Well, well, we just assumed that we just like forgot about it or yeah, something. Yeah, I mean, like, that's probably evil. I'm like Exodus. Is Exodus that, was that was the thing? The name of one of the data packs, I think. Cyber Exodus. Is that what he reads? <laughs>